We all make choices, and I don't know about you, but it's time for a strength check. So what's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak. Welcome to another episode of Strength Check. Thank you for sticking with the show as we figure out what we're trying to figure out here. So this has just been one of those runs where it seems like everything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. Just, I don't know if it's this time of year or this time in the semester, but man, like, I am ready for some good luck. So this week, like I said, we're going to talk about choices and the way that our choices affect us the way that some people might feel constrained in their choices and how that might affect their future. Before we get into that, though, a couple of other notes. Last week, we talked about The Murder of Stanford White by Harry Thoth. And I want to give a shout-out to one of our listeners, Duffy, who reached out to talk about how sad Evelyn Nesbitt's role is in all of this, above and beyond the relationships that she had with two different rapists. So Evelyn has been described as an it girl, Like, when you think about what fashion at the turn of the 20th century looked like, like, if you picture in your head what that woman looks like, you're probably imagining somebody who looks like Evelyn Nesbitt. That's her her legacy, right? Like, that's what she should be most known for. And nobody really remembers her for that. Nobody really remembers her at all. So that's sad, right? That she had this this really major effect on American pop culture, on Americana, and nobody knows her for that. Her life, if anybody is aware of her, who's not like a, a big like theater person or Hollywood person, you might know her for the trial, if you know her at all. And don't get me wrong, like her role in this trial is really important. Like I said last week, she is responsible, I think, for not single-handedly, but starting a push towards changing how we talk about sexual violence in the United States. That Teddy Roosevelt tried to intervene and keep the papers from publishing her testimony that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. But it's also sad just because her life after the trial, she, I mean, she didn't live in seclusion or anything like that. She had a son that she claimed was Harry's, um, that she had gotten pregnant during a conjugal visit that she had made to the, the hospital that he was in. Harry always denied it. After the trial and after her and Harry split up, You know, there's not a whole lot more that Evelyn has to do. She she and Harry had an attempt at reconciliation in the 1920s that didn't really go anywhere. When Harry died, he had amassed a small fortune, um, over a million dollars to his name, and he left Evelyn a small piece of it, about $10,000. She taught, she was just kind of around. In the 1950s, she served as a technical advisor on a movie that was about her and Stanford and Harry, I think. I mean, it has the title, A Girl in the Velvet Swing. But it wasn't really biographical. The people who made the film took a lot of liberties with the story. 
and Evelyn. I don't know if she was really encouraging that. I'm not totally familiar with this with the movie, to be uh, completely honest with you. But she got paid for it, and I think that's all she probably cared about. And that was it. That was Evelyn's life. Thrust into the spotlight at a very young age, chastised for it, and then pretty much disappears. And so somebody who had that kind of talent and at least that sort of modeling ability just to go away like that um, after such a really difficult and tragic case is pretty sad. So I think Evelyn's story this week and really her story overall um, is a good reminder for people who are who might be listening to the show because of our our sort of true crime connection or like anybody out there who's just interested in this stuff. You know, I totally understand why you might be fascinated with the blood and the guts and the gore and the whodunit nature of these stories, but you have to remember that there's always collateral damage. You have to remember that unlike the movies, there is going to be an epilogue. People do have to move on with their lives. And we see a lot of that humanity. And I think we see and can and can see a lot of our own humanity in how we react to those epilogues, right? Like, when you hear me telling you that this is what Evelyn Nesbitt's life was like after the fact, you know, how does that make you feel? And if it makes you feel sorry for her or sad for her, then that's okay. Like, we probably should, right? She had a rough life. So, there's that. Thank you, Duffy, for uh, reaching out. So, like I said at the top of the show, this week I want to talk about choices. Uh, It's become kind of a joke between some friends of mine and I. One of us does something stupid or something that we're mad about, and the response is usually, well, we all make choices. And I don't want to talk about choices this week in any kind of mocking way. I want to talk about how constraining choices might actually make us feel, especially with regard to people who are struggling with any kind of mental health problems, especially depression anxiety, PTSD, people who have been in any kind of toxic relationship or abusive relationship, or people who find themselves trapped in a substance use disorder, or have all three of those things going on. I want to talk about how, you know, we have a lot more freedom to make choices, to do what we want to do, than maybe sometimes we realize. And this is something that comes up frequently with people who have been victimized in some way, people who are struggling with something like depression or anxiety or PTSD, um, people who are in the throes of a substance use problem, that you're trapped, that there's no way out, that everybody's going to hate you, and you're kind of stuck, right? And it's really easy in life to feel stuck, to find yourself trapped by like whatever circumstances you found yourself in. What I think I've come to learn is that it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Right, and I think that that's something that comes up probably a lot in, um, especially with like substance use related literature. So there's this thing, right, where you're suffering from something, and 
you feel trapped, you feel boxed in, painted into a corner, pick whatever metaphor you want. And there's this tremendous fear of what's going to come in the future. And that if you try to make any positive steps to fix the problems that you have found yourself in, that not only is it going to be hard, not only is it going to be painful, but then people are also going to judge you. Well, the hard part is true, and the painful part is kind of true. But the judging part, I don't think that's necessarily something that should hold us back, right? So, how do I want to put this? I have a kind of a corny metaphor, I guess. So, in a few minutes, we're going to go to an interview that I, I conducted with one of my Play for Progress volunteers on campus yesterday. And when I brought the mic in with me, I got there and it was raining. And I had a plastic bag for it, but I was sitting in my car on the roof of our parking deck and watching the rain on my windshield. And this has been, you know, one of those semesters where if anything is going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And I am beat down and I'm just ready for this school year to be over. And I'm watching this water spreading on my windshield and I'm thinking to myself, I should just leave this thing in the car. I should just come up with something else to talk about on the show I don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk this thing getting wrecked. I don't know how this works, but I know that water and electronics are typically a bad combination, so I don't know what to do. And I sat there for maybe five or ten minutes, like, what do I do? Just, like, watching the rain. And eventually I said, well, I had made a promise um, to the student. I had made a promise to whoever is listening to this right now. We were going to do something this week, so... I said, all right, if it's really bad, I can tuck it into my coat and we'll figure it out. I'll run to my building if I have to. And I got out of the car and it wasn't that bad. It seemed like it was really bad when I was stuck in there, but on the outside, not so much. But this is just getting out of the car and dealing with a little bit of a rain shower, right? This isn't getting away from any kind of addiction or a toxic person or an abusive relationship or anything like that. So I'm not trying to to draw any kind of equivalencies there. But what I will say as somebody who has gone through this, that it's worth it. And so you got to take chances on yourself. And you do have that choice. You know, it kind of works, right? Like you're going through it and it feels like the worst thing in the world. But you get out of it. And, well, getting out of it actually wasn't that bad. And like I said, it's one of those things that I don't think people ever really appreciate. I see it with students all the time, bright students, students that have lots of potential, who could take over the world if they wanted to, who are feeling trapped by decisions that they've made and are really terrified, like petrified about what are they going to do in the future because the future is going to be hard and people are going to find out what I did and they're going to hate me and they're going to judge me and people that I'm trying to get away from are going to judge me and then what do I do? I don't know what to do. But you have to make that choice, right? You have to choose to gamble on yourself and say, I'm going to move. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go where the opportunities are. I'm going to make that choice to do better in my classes. I'm going to make that choice to make healthier decisions. Make that choice to be a better person. Surround myself with better people. Make that choice to get away from all this nasty stuff going on in the world. Make that choice to be happy. It kind of reminds me now of another thing that I try to remind myself about. I reminded myself to remind myself. It's funny how your brain works, right? Human body's a mystery. Life is hard. Life is always going to be hard. 
life is going to kick your ass up one side and down the other. It's going to beat you down without mercy. It's never going to give up. It's never going to let up. But in spite of that, there are lots of things that we do to add on to that pain. There are lots of things that we do to increase our own suffering. And so if you feel like you're boxed in and you're suffering, you have to ask yourself, well, how much of this is life doing this to me? And how much of this is myself doing this to me? And if it's life doing it to you because your job is hard, your kids are stressful, your health is your health, then, I mean, that's tough to get around, right? But if it's the case that your life sucks because of choices that you've made, well, identify those things, those people, those places, those things that are causing you that suffering and fire them. Get rid of them. It's not worth it. You got one shot at this world. Get rid of that suffering. Find the Josh Smith in your life and fire the Josh Smith in your life. And if you get that joke, I appreciate you. So, like I promised, this week we have a very short interview with one of our Play for Progress volunteers who so graciously volunteered her time to come to my office, deal with the noise in the hallway, the rattling in my ceiling, and what ended up being a very uncomfortable microphone setup because my office is a mess, um, to spend a few minutes of her time talking to us about mental health, how she thinks it's important to advocate for mental health, and her, her relationship with D&D and how she thinks Dungeons and Dragons can be useful for people who might need to learn that there are more choices out there than they realize. So I apologize if the audio quality is a little off. Um, like I just talked about trying to get the microphone set up in my office on campus was a little bit more difficult than I thought. So um, I might have to clean up in there. I might have to come up with a better setup if we're going to keep doing interviews on campus. But hey, this is a learning process for me. Um, I hope that you appreciate that. So I'm going to throw to the interview now. That's an industry term. Throw to something. Uh, with one of our Play for Progress volunteers and a student of mine. Her name is Lindsay. We're going to go to that interview right now. Here's Lindsay. So a lot of times in class we'll talk about like mental health advocacy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So... Um, what are your feelings about talking about mental health and just like ways that people can do stuff better? I think it's really important. I think there needs to be less tabooness on therapy mm-hmm. because there's you think of therapy and it's kind of like, ooh, that's scary, like I don't want to do that. That means like there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But it's so important and once you go you realize, okay, I'm normal this is normal and I feel a lot better mm-hmm. going to it and just talking out your feelings with a professional mm-hmm. it, it just feels good so do you think that just in general people should talk about like how they're going to therapy more or mm-hmm. like experiences in therapy is that what you think yeah I think because um, you don't hear about it a lot and I think everyone needs to make it more normalized because yeah. you know it can be such a helpful tool to so many people and there's a lot of people who think it's this you know scary thing mm-hmm. but it's just you're talking to someone and they're trying to help you and they're not judgmental right? yeah exactly <laughs> they're not sitting there making fun of yeah <laughs> i mean sometimes they are but it's in good fun <laughs> um 
So you've just started out on our Play for Progress mm-hmm. um, project. So you've played D&D before, yes. right? So yeah. what do you think about, just in general, like what's appealing to D&D for you? Well, at, you? at first, my friend asked me, and I kind of always saw D&D as kind of like, oh, it's something for nerds and like, mm-hmm. you know. But once he got me to like play a session... I realized, wow, this is, like, a lot of fun. It just takes you out of, like, your everyday life-to-life world Mm -hmm. and your problems, and you're able to just escape yourself for, you know, even if it's, like, an hour to Mm -hmm. however long your session is. I think it's it's great. So as far as, like, merging those two things together with mental health and then D&D, like, what kind of possibilities do you see there? I think I think it could be endless, honestly. I think as long as that taboo is taken away, because there's similarities between therapy and you know D and D with that taboo there. That um, how I said like that um, I saw it as like just a nerd's game. Mm-hmm. I think it's endless that anyone can play and anyone can have fun with it because it's just using your imagination when you get down to it. So for people who've never played it before like what what would you say to them to try to like pitch it to them i would say honestly just give it a chance (laughs) you know there's nothing that can go wrong you're just making a character and having some fun with Mm -hmm. friends and even you know if you don't like it you're just hanging out with friends and having a good time honestly can you think of like moments when you've been playing the game before either with us or just Mm -hmm. you know in your own life where you've been in a situation where you've done something in character that, like, real-life Lindsay wouldn't do. <laughs> all the Although time. besides, like, you know, the, the murder and stuff. That yeah. Like, obviously not. Honestly, all the time. Um, especially when it comes to, uh, like, chaotic evil or... Uh-huh. I, I tend to play more out-there characters um, and characters that are willing to make more radical decisions. Uh-huh. And, um... Sometimes, you know, I, I, I like to play Rogue a lot, mm-hmm. so um, a lot of times, like, steal or just be very standoffish, mm-hmm. when in real life, I like to give everyone a chance. Yeah. So, can you think of any times, or like, has there ever been an experience where, like, you were afraid to do something, and then you thought about, like, well, if this was this setting, then I'd be, yeah. like, so why am I actually afraid of, like... I think one of the powerful things about this is that like, it can show us how a lot of times like we manufacture things that we should be afraid of or mm-hmm. should be af- unwilling to do or like something like that. So have you ever had, and it's okay if you haven't, yeah. like, I know most people don't think about games that they're playing with, like, <laughs> what does this mean in my life? <laughs> I don't think I consciously think about it, uh-huh. but I think D&D has allowed me subconsciously to kind of come out of the shell. Uh-huh. It's allowed me to kind of take more of a leadership role mm-hmm. and kind of put myself out there more and realize that, you know, sometimes it's it's scary, but you can do stuff and put yourself out there and not not be totally, like, denied. Yeah. Yeah, so you would recommend it for people who are... Oh, definitely. Listening to this and might be skeptical. Yeah, I think it, in some twisted way, it's kind of like a public speaking class. <laughs> <laughs> Strong recommendation for public speaking <laughs> yeah. classes. Yeah, a D&D class that uh, 
It's just public speaking 101. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should have some kind of D&D class here. Honestly, I think it would be a success. Crime and mental health yeah. in D&D, which is like everything that this podcast is about. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. So thank you, Lindsay, for your yeah, time. no problem. So thank you again, Lindsay, for taking some time out of your day to talk to us about mental health. If anybody out there listening wants to participate on the show, take some time out of your day to come by my office if you go to my university or you want to Skype in, talk to me about your thoughts on mental health or what you think Dungeons & Dragons can do for people who are struggling, reach out to the show, let us know. I'll be more than happy to give you a platform. So let's talk for a second real quick about what Strength Check is becoming. Because like a lot of things in my life, I don't really plan for stuff. I just do it and then figure it out later. And this show is definitely like a really good example of that. So as we're trying to figure out like what the show should look like and try to find what our niche is, or niche is, niche ease, I don't know. Words, man. It's weird. Try to figure out what the show is supposed to be about. We're telling people that this is crime and mental health and Dungeons and Dragons, which are three topics that don't really work all that great together as a singular type of show. So we've had like a mini variety show up until this point. But how sustainable is this? Right? Who wants to listen to me ramble every week? So one thing that we're thinking about is how can we find some kind of find that spot in the Venn diagram between crime and mental health and D&D and maybe education and make this show about that. So one idea that I had maybe 20 minutes before I started recording tonight was wouldn't it be cool if we could find a way to do a show that was an actual literal combination of the three? What if we went back through some of those major cases in American history? The Manson family, the Black Dahlia, the Zodiac, and took some of our Play for Progress volunteers or took some of our early adopters, those of you listening now, gave you the role of investigators and had you play through a kind of, sort of, historical, kind of, sort of, fictional accounting of the case, where because we know who Manson was and we know, well, we have a pretty good idea of who killed the Black Dahlia, and we have those incredible settings in Southern California in the 1940s and the 1960s, Like, maybe there's something there if we make Strength Check about that. I think it would be pretty cool. I don't know. But that's me. So if that's something that you might be interested in, reach out to the show. Let me know. Maybe we can put something together. This is basically an on-air plea for people to come and play (laughs) D&D. The other thing that could be a possibility would be maybe a little bit of a historical true crime kind of bend. Right? Like, it's fun talking about this stuff from the turn of the century. And I'm working on a book about that. So maybe we spend some time talking about the assassination of President McKinley and what that meant for the for the entire future of the United States. Maybe we talk about the anarchist movement in the early 20th century and how that was, like, the boogeyman or the boogeymen of the time. And a hundred years later, who really thinks about the dangerous anarchists anymore. I don't know. So there's something there. There's also the possibility of using this as a way to talk about the stuff that I talk about in class. Now, I don't want this to be just audio lectures either. I don't want to give it away for free, right? 
but there are lots of things that I want to talk about in class that I don't have the chance to talk about in class. And so maybe strength check becomes that. Maybe strength check becomes like the B-sides of my lectures. Maybe those things that I've wanted to teach or I've tried to teach that haven't really worked out, maybe those work better in podcast form. You know, I used to teach victimology as a semester-long class, but I, I can't do it anymore. I did it once and that was enough. That was, that was enough to tell me that that is not a class that I can do for 15 weeks. But maybe I can do it for 15 episodes. Maybe there's something there. Next semester, I'm teaching a revolutions class. It's something I've been obsessed with. And a student asked about it yesterday, and I went into a, a not my 30-second pitch. It was more of like a 10-minute pitch. But maybe that's something I can cover. You know, why do people, what pushes people to make change at that level? I don't know. There's something there. That's it for this week. Hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. If you are somebody out there who has stories to share, you want to come on the show and talk about your relationship with Dungeons and Dragons, you want to advocate for mental health in your own way, reach out. Um, I will be more than happy to put you on the show. If you have ideas, if you have any correspondence for us, if you want to reach out, if you have anything to volunteer for the show, please, you can follow us on the Red Hot Twitter machine at Strength Check. You can email the show at strengthcheckpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at HeyDrWill. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. The show is produced by Mark Warren. Mark looked at this around 5 minutes and 45 seconds and thought, this is pretty tight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me think out loud about this idea of choices. I really appreciate that. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars if you love us. Five stars if you don't. Recommend us to a friend. You can also follow me, if you're into the D&D part of the show, on a new stream on Twitch called Mages and Mentors. We will retweet and send out information about that show as it airs. Our first actual live game was this past Monday night. We'll be on again a week from Monday. That's it for this week. Thanks again for listening. Fight forever. See ya. Bye.